Hello and welcome to the Facing Up podcast with me, Luke Grenfell Shaw. In the first half of my conversation with Graham Shaw, we discussed his experiences growing up in the Second World War, how he started in the Navy, and his thoughts on my own childhood. Now we get stuck into the challenges Graham faced as he moved through the Navy, and we also hear about why he thinks today's youth have it tougher than he did. (laughs) You better listen. Moving back to your naval mm-hmm. education, you said that was you know, the first really big challenge in an environment that you weren't accustomed to at all, you were well out of your comfort zone. How yeah. did you build through it? I think it was a question of a challenge to oneself. This is what we got to do. There was no question of, I'd signed, by this stage, I had signed on, as it were, and the Navy wasn't going to let me go out. And so you got used to the idea that there wasn't a way out of it. You'd got to come to terms with the, the situation. Right. And frankly, as I said, from the time I became um, a leading boy, um, I really more and more thoroughly enjoyed my time. Um, mm. I eventually became a petty officer boy, and then I actually finally became an instructor boy and the senior instructor boy of the 1500 there. So, That's you know, prestigious. That was, that, that was really quite something, yes. Mm-hmm. And I was sent for by the, um, the captain of the establishment. And don't forget, you know, the captain of the establishment, he was pretty well, he was God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what he said went, and right. that was it. Yeah. Or what he required, mm-hmm. um, very much so. But yes, I um, thoroughly enjoyed my time doing that. And I felt that I was giving something back to the Navy and the young boys that were coming in that I had to look after for the mm-hmm. first months of their time in the Navy. Yeah. And I really enjoyed doing it. And um, then, of course, you're put back in your in your hole again um, when you go to sea because you're just a, another young sailor mm-hmm. at the bottom end of the rung. You've got to work your way the, back up. And you've got to prove yourself again. And um, you know, there you are. You prove yourself amongst another 20 of youngsters, all of us scrabbling around. Time and time again, you proved your not only worth, but desire to to learn and improve yourself. Do you feel that having this aim of wanting to captain your ship, was that the sort of thing that drove you? Yes, I think so. I mean, I wasn't aiming to become a petty officer. I was aiming to be commissioned and, and to be an officer. And ultimately, as a seaman, Branch as an engineer, I couldn't command my ship in my days. Um, as a right. seaman officer, an executive officer, I could, and that's what I wanted to do. Yes. So yes, it was. I had a very good divisional officer um, in my early days, mm. um, uh, who was a very young lieutenant, and uh, in fact, he he started. I remember him with one stripe. He was sub lieutenant, but he very quickly became a lieutenant. Right. Um, but he was um, a very good example to me. Mm-hmm. And, and required me to give of my best at all times. Mm. He knew that I was an officer candidate and um, saw to it that I, um, A, behaved myself and B, took every opportunity I could to advance myself. So, so being an officer candidate, there's an opportunity if you start as a seaman in the, the non-officer ranks to make the jump to becoming mm. a, a lieutenant mm. and a new mm. commander, captain. Mm. But that's, that's quite unusual, isn't it? Um, yeah, there weren't many uh, of us who did it. In my time, uh, of um, the, the group that I went with, we, we were called upper yardmen. Um, we were never 
cadets at Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. We were never um, midshipmen at sea. We never wore the white tabs of a midshipman on, on his uniform. Right. Um, uh, we went straight from um, a sailor wearing a round hat, in my case as an acting petty officer, um, um, uh, into officer's uniform, which was a huge jump. It really right. was. Uh, and we were separated from the fleet uh, completely by that. But we were actually um, very well tutored, extremely mm. well tutored, mm. because they, the, the officers who uh, were in charge of us, mm. had to move us from being sailors, when we say a lower deck mentality. I don't say that in a derogatory sense, but it, it, it is... What does, fact, mean? what does, what that, does mean? that mean? It means that you, um, your, your uh, horizon is probably relatively limited. Uh-huh. Um, and, 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 and frankly, you know, uh, to become a petty officer is it, quite something. You, you huge amount of, of instruction you've got to um, get round and yeah. you've got to learn a lot of things and um, got to prove that you have the capability to lead others. It's all a question of leading, and that's a vitally important thing. And certainly this uh, this officer concerned Mm. um, saw to it that uh, he made certain that I was put in charge of people at an early stage. Yeah. I've got a a couple of questions from this. Uh, Firstly, on this topic of leadership. To you, what makes good leadership? Uh, Do you know, I am not sure. I'm not sure that I can answer that question. What makes good leadership is the innate or developed ability to excite others to do what you want them to do. Hmm. And That's do it. And to do it with enthusiasm and, and wish that they want that hmm. a good idea and yes, we'll get on with it. Hmm. If you can. Uh, yeah. There are the other ones who don't want to do it <laughs> and yeah. there's no way, but because it's you, they'll do it. Right. How do you excite them? I think by saying, look, lads, we've got this job to do. We've just got to get on with it. And um, this is how I am I want you to do it. Okay, that's not quite as inspiring as I was expecting. I was you know, like, right, boys, no. we've got the challenge of a lifetime ahead of us. No, you know. that doesn't work. That does not work. Um, a, a, a lot of people. If you like, that is the... The, the outward way of doing it. But if you really mm. want to impress people, mm. in my view, you need to be doing it quietly and just say, mm. this is what's happened, how we got to do it. Um, yes, maybe it is a challenge of a lifetime. Maybe it's uh, something that's quite unusual, but we've got the opportunity to do it mm. and we're going to do it this way mm. and um, show that we are, we are as good as the next one. Yeah. And hopefully show that we're better than they are. Yeah. Uh, and also... Um, that, that was um, an activity there. Um, later on, when I was um, a lieutenant, um, I was actually put in charge of the the forecastle division. The forecastle, that's the front end, mm. and doing all the anchoring and, uh, in a big ship in this case, uh, the mooring. Mm. And mooring means that you're actually putting two anchors down and joining up the cable with swivel pieces. and It's quite a complex thing to do it. Right. And you're dealing with big, heavy cable, and things can go wrong very quickly, and people can get hurt mm. very... And I say hurt, I mean lose an arm or a finger very easily. Mm. My way of dealing with this one would be very quietly say, right, not in a whisper, but this is what you're going to do. You will be dealing with this, you will do that, uh, and I would be watching. And they would know that I would be watching 
very, very carefully. And they would need to obey my signals or whatever I was mm. going to give. Mm. You have to inspire um, in you as a leader the confidence of the people that are working for you. Mm. If you are boistering uh, that this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread, it's water off a duck's back, forget it. No one's going to... They, they really won't want to listen to you. Mm. Do it quietly and they will listen. Mm. People will listen. I One of the most powerful examples of leadership that... Um, I came across, which was when I was working out in the Middle East for Musk, which is a company that you're part of, on the barge offshore Iraq, and the uh, superintendent, a guy called Dick Hussey, of course you know very well, he was leading the whole operation, probably 50 people uh, on this barge, surveying for unexploded ordnance, and... I think I went up to his office, which we, we shared with a couple of others, and he we said, you know, we need to clean the floors. And I sort of turned around and when I looked back, he was on his hands and knees cleaning mm. the floor. Mm. And that was incredibly powerful that if the top dog on this ship is not too proud and like if these things matter to him and he's prepared to do it, it's like, well, who the hell am I to say that I don't want to clean a floor? Mm. And that has stuck with me. I'm glad it has. And that's something you're right. Uh, I didn't know about that one. But that that would be Dick Hussey. Everybody in my company knows full well that they're never required to do anything that I can't do myself or don't do. Mm. And that is very, very important when you're dealing with tricky situations. You know, I felt that when you were there on board the barge, you learned a lot. You had you created an enormous impression. Good, I have to say, very good <laughs> actually. You know, you did, and people just are very up, up, not upset but sad when you leave, um, because you have shown that you um, have appreciated them in what they're doing, and that they're everybody has an important job. Yeah. It, it 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 all is part of of the total. Absolutely. And um, that's a, a vitally important bit there. And certainly Dick and I have exactly the same way of doing these things from the point of view of um, being an example to others. Yeah. And um, certainly, you know, I would think nothing of, of setting that example. Yeah. And and have done, I have to say, <laughs> on many occasions. Uh, yes. yes, and you continue to, to do so. I think you really, for those listening, seeing Graham in the flesh is quite something because... If you sit down to a meal, Graham rarely let his bottom touch the seat for more than a few seconds before he's up, you know, getting something from the kitchen, helping. That's thoroughly annoying, yes, okay. <laughs> you, you'd think that wherever Graham is, he was the, the, the host and it was his complete and sole purpose to make sure that everyone else was having a good time. And very much, I would say, puts himself well. That's at, just at um, last. <laughs> as a grandfather, I can do that. <laughs> mm, right. So you made the big jump between being a, a rating to becoming an officer, and you told me recently about a, an amusing anecdote that when you're in charge and sort of dealing with a bit of a stressful situation when you're out in Iceland. Yes, I um, joined my first ship as a sub-lieutenant to learn how to be uh, an officer at sea. Um, It's rather different to your position as an officer ashore. 
Mm. Um, and um, you, you very much have to be practical about the things as well. You know, seamanship and being in a small ship. Mm. Anyway, we had come into Reykjavik, the capital, and berthed alongside, having been at sea for um, a very long time. And the um, first lieutenant, that's the second in command of the ship, had uh, sent for me and said, um, right, sub, we um, always known as sub, sub-lieutenant, uh, you're going to be duty tonight, that's the way it is, tough, I'm sorry, you know, you're the junior boy, um, and so everybody else is going ashore to have um, a drink. So, you know, so the, short so story, the, the answer to that one was, of course, aye, aye, sir, yeah. and uh, there we were. So um, I wasn't going ashore, but there we are, and um, we settled down, everybody went ashore, and then um, some short time later, the harbour master came on board mm. and said, um, you're going to have to move, uh, move the ship. And I said, well, I can't, you can't, the captain's ashore, and all the officers are ashore, and he said, you're going to have to move the ship. Mm. Uh, if not, I'll put the pilot on board, mm. and um, he'll move the ship for you. Right. And I thought, oh my goodness me, Her Majesty's ship, you know, this is an impossible situation. Right. We couldn't find the captain or anybody, any of the other officers ashore. Don't forget, no mobile telephones in those days yeah. um, or anything else. And because uh, this will be 1955 uh, or maybe 56, no, 55, 56, because mm. it was winter mm. and it was dark, I know. Um, yeah. And so, anyway, um, I sent for the. Um, the chief engineer from the engine room, and said, how long can we? will it take to raise steam? Because mm. it was a steamship, not not a motor one. And he said, 20 minutes. We haven't actually flashed down yet or shut down. And so we raised steam. And the actual the pilot did come on board because he, they weren't quite sure where they were going to put us. And okay. you know, it was a bit difficult to work out. So anyway, right. I took the ship out. Uh, but of course, this is the first time I'd ever given a command in yeah. r- real terms from a real live bridge of a, of a real live ship. Right. I took the ship out into the um, outer harbour, and then eventually we were brought back in again. I say brought, we were uh, ordered to come to another berth, and the yeah. pilot told me where it was. Um, but because it was, um, you know, I was able to bring the ship alongside mm. satisfactorily. I'd always felt that I could do ship handling quite well mm. and I'd watched a lot of officers doing it mm. and making mistakes oh. and um, you know it, you just that way I was fortunate that we didn't have an offshore wind it was actually there was no wind at all and um, so um, uh, that was fine from the point of view we came in and burst alongside everybody including me were very well satisfied with ourselves mm-hmm. um, after all we were the second 11 on board and all the first 11 right through the ship had gone ashore ah uh, so you all the, we the were, lesser experienced uh, yes. more junior and we had done we had done very well second string well yeah. um, so I left the, with the quartermaster who was on the gangway mm-hmm. and I said make sure I know when the captain is coming back mm-hmm. and the officers and um, anyway, eventually, I don't know, half past 10, 11 o'clock at night, quartermaster came to me and said, we've seen the captain walking along with the, the, the jetty, mm. um, wandering around, looking, seeing where, his boat looking where his ship. Yes. <laughs> uh, so um, when the captain came on board, um, there was I, saluted him properly and said, you know, good evening, sir. Or something like that. I can't remember what I said. Spot the difference. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> and um, he obviously, um, um, outwardly with me, was um, pretty upset. Um, and said, report to me in my cabin in 10 minutes' time. Mm. 
So in precisely 10 minutes time, I knocked on his cabin door and um, he gave me, obviously, he said, come and have a quick noggin, uh, which you didn't get ashore. And um, a noggin being a drink. Oh, so and, being very friendly. And um, he said, you, you're extremely well, well done. Uh, you can take the ship out when we leave. Right. And, and that's um, quite an honour. And that was, oh, yes, yes. He was very pleased. Mm. Um, but <laughs> I suspect very relieved. Yes. And that was actually my 21st birthday, my birthday present. What a what a way to celebrate, mark your 21st birthday. Yes, it was. Yeah, Duty, but one that was ultimately <laughs> acknowledged. Yes. It sounds like that was a very pressured situation to be in. I can think of examples of what you, when I've seen something being done, I sort of think I know how it's done. I've had the, hmm. the theory, yes. but then to do it oneself... It's quite re- different. It's hmm. very... You never quite know what's going to go wrong. Yeah. Have I remembered everything that I should yeah. do? Have they let go of the final rope? <laughs> or, or are you going to swing around? <laughs> or something, yeah. you know. Who might be like a, a right astern that I can't see from the bridge? By the way, of course, in those days, it was an open bridge. Mm. You got all the funnel smuts straight across your eyes and mm. face. Mm. And so often, you know, you, it, was, it was not easy. Anyway, there we are. Yeah. Yes. To finish today, I want to go back to what I alluded to much earlier on about today's generation, my generation, the youth of today, if you will, we've been labelled as never being more more sensitive, in touch with our emotions, trying to find the perfect career, not just settling for some sort of love, but the, the one person, that perfect match, I suppose. So being more and more prescriptive. And then also there are more and more terms for different, let's say, mental health Disorders that weren't recognised when you were growing up. I'm really interested to know what your perspective on the way today's generation is growing up. What seems really positive, and then also perhaps what things you feel that we might be missing out on, given your own experience. I would offer, yes, some comments on that. I believe that you actually have a much more difficult task than we had, because there are so many more options open to you. And, of course, ultimately, it's your decision how you handle these. And there weren't the opportunities in so many different ways. Um, We didn't travel as much. You didn't meet as many different people and so on and so forth. Uh, And don't forget, life was much more segmented. Um, Yes, you went to school. When you finished school, you went to do some work somewhere. And that was for a lot of people. That's what happened. Mm. And their perspective of life that they were going to lead was very much geared to that. Now, today, we think very differently. Mm. But it, I believe it is actually more difficult for today's generation to come to terms with this because there's just so many changes. And you see also today, in various ways, communication, and I don't just mean um, a mobile telephone, communication of one form or another, um, you're being constantly pounded by um, advertisement of one sort or mm. another. Mm. We never had that. Yeah. <clears throat> don't forget, the only communication uh, method, well, there were three methods of communication. Voice, person to person. Yes. The landline telephone, Yeah. if you were lucky enough to have one, mm. and only one in probably 10 homes had them. In my turn, that few. Or maybe even less than that. That's why you used to have a lot of telephone boxes 
And because people in the road and the street would go to the telephone box. Yeah. The other thing was the wireless or the radio, as we mm. used to call it. I can remember listening to Children's Hour, uh, which was from 4 until 4.40 uh, in the afternoon. At 4.40 to 4.50, was it was in Welsh. Right. Uh, and then it was the weather forecast, and um, at 5 o'clock there was the news. Yeah. And that was it. We turned off the wireless. Yeah, um, yeah. And then we got on with homework. You know, there just wasn't the opportunity in the different way. This deluge of information. This deluge of information we didn't have to cope with. So it does make it much more difficult to today, I believe, for young people to sort out what they want to do, but not only in life, but today, mm. tomorrow, mm. Um, who they see, their friends. Mm. Many more decisions to be made. Many more decisions to be made. And, of course, they they will, they will get them wrong just mm. as much as we did. But the results, I believe, today are, I won't say catastrophic, but they are have a greater influence one way or another, probably. Mm. You had a couple of career options open to you. One was a bit of an apprentice of some sort. Um, the other was essentially joining the Navy. Whereas one of the big preoccupations of certainly my life and I think of the life of a lot of my peers is the huge plethora of different career options. And it's now much more common to go to one thing and then try another thing and rather than being stuck yes. in a career. What's your thought on pursuing a career? Is this something that you would have liked to have this option? Do you, do you have a strategy that you yes, think can Yes, I, I, I definitely would very much have liked to have had alternative options that mm. I could reasonably have aimed to um, mm. go for. By and large, you know, you just didn't. And our, the way of thinking was, wasn't as developed as, uh, in, in that sense as it is today. Mm. I mean, it just didn't occur to me, really. Uh, once I joined the Navy, um, uh, as a rating, I joined it for actually, believe it or not, 22 years. But it didn't occur to me to change um, my career and, mm. and leave as a mid-seniority lieutenant and go and do something quite different. Mm. Um, it, it was not until much later on that that sort of thing started happening, which meant, of course, that when I did leave the Navy after 30-odd years, mm. it really a huge jump to move into something quite different. I went into the offshore oil and gas industry. Yeah, well, that would be a conversation That's for another, another conversation. The so. final thing for today, I was wondering about you know, this, just the mental, I don't know, it was mental health side. There, there are a lot of things that you had to face that, and you received no counselling, very little support from your parents, from your friends, I would mm. have presumed. Mm. So what do you think about today's generation in terms of the, the amount of support? Are we indulging emotions and the feelings of children? Is it actually making people better and um, people perhaps with fewer insecurities or, or more? An answer which is not going to be very helpful. Some families and some parents will be overindulging mm. because they see, they in their view, Need, feel they need to provide the best mm. they can and frankly others are doing rather less than they a, a lot less than mm. it even happened with me mm. uh, I think there's the disparity um, is considerable today mm. and that to me spells difficulties in for instance in our in our population mm. in this country because some young people um, are starting with a huge deficit of um, what could be available to them yeah um, and others are being over in, overindulged. Whereas in my time, I think it was a lot 
indulgent was a lot less. Right. Obviously, there were some who were yeah. overdone. And, of course, it, that will tend to follow money. Mm. And there is, a, even in comparative terms, there is more money around in one group today and probably less yeah. at the other end than there was in my time. Mm. The disparity in earning or family disposable income uh, is probably greater yeah. now than it was um, than certainly in my young time. Yeah. And in a just slightly different sense, in terms of building, say, resilience and overcoming challenges, do you feel that having to get on with it, as you put it earlier, is a, is a better strategy than having someone with many pillars of support or does it depend from person to person? Uh, well, it, it must depend on person to person. Mm. Having um, experienced um, my own one, uh, I would like to see people getting on with it mm. um, more by themselves, as indeed you have been doing this and you've been demonstrating that very firmly in my view, you know, without a, a shadow of doubt. Mm. Um, I believe that's actually the best thing because ultimately it's the, it's that person that's going to have to live their life, not yes. the parents yes. or anybody else. Um, offer advice, yes, mm. but after that, no. Yes. And um, I think that's probably not a bad note to finish on. I think it's a very apt uh, parting thought. Graham. it has been absolutely fantastic to chat with you today. We have just touched really the very beginning of of your life and I'm really excited that in future episodes to talk about your time in the Navy, what you did when you left, your time out in the Middle East and also um, how you cared for Granny Kathleen later on. Thank you so much for your time and I'm looking forward to talking to you Thank you for the opportunity. Um, It's been a great pleasure on my part actually to sort of go over some of the memories (laughs) of these things. But thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Graham. And that was my conversation with Graham Shaw, my very dear, and in my eyes at least, incredible grandfather. He is someone I feel incredibly lucky to know and to be able to look up to. It certainly prompted some thoughts in me about my own childhood, contrasting that with Graham. I'm not convinced that today's generation have it harder than he did, but certainly the challenges are really very different. But having talked with Graham, it does make me incredibly appreciative of the fairly unrelenting support that my parents gave me through my childhood. Though I do wonder, had I been forced to pick up my own toys after I threw them out the metaphorical or literal pram, how would I be a different person today? It was certainly quite humbling to hear about Graham's attitude of putting his mother first with those grapes, but then also his approach to leadership, that he would never ask anyone on his team or in his company to do something that he wasn't prepared to do himself, and that is certainly some food for thought for me. I would be very interested in your thoughts of what you took from this conversation with Graham, How did it make you think about your childhood differently? How did it make you feel about problems at work? Do you feel that there is too much choice or you're bombarded by messages from your phone? Please do drop a comment on the Facebook page if you have any thoughts about this. I would be really interested to know. That is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. 
take care and goodbye.